I'd like to uh, ask you all to take your Bibles and let's open up to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 21. I want to go through some scriptures before we start studying it because I just want you to see the overview and uh, this magnificent uh, writing regarding uh, the place we all hope to be someday, and that's heaven. Revelation chapter 21. And the Apostle John, he writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And then let's drop down to verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. In verse 15, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. And the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The walls of the city were adorned with every, or the foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. And verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And then verse 27, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then chapter 22, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light, nor lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. And may God bless our our reading there. And hold your fingers there, because we're actually going to start in John chapter 14, if you want to go there. So John chapter 14. 
Now, one thing that I, I think everyone needs to realize is that the soul of every human being is eternal. Uh, some people think that when you die, that's just it. Unbelievers tend to think when you die, that's just it. Or they think, well, I'm a good person, I'm going to be in a better place. Uh, but the fact is, the soul is eternal. And really the only question, if you wanted to boil it all down for mankind or humanity, is where that soul will spend eternity. And and this, we Christians are kind of a strange lot. We always talk about heaven or think about heaven or refer to heaven uh, and we know that that's where we're going to spend eternity, where there's going to be no sin, where we'll be face to face with Jesus, no sorrow, no pain, your death. But we don't talk about it a lot and we don't really study it a lot. Um, I, I've, uh, this is the only entire message I think I've ever preached about just heaven. And I know uh, we've touched on it for many times over the years. And so the fact of the matter is most believers are ill-informed about the subject of heaven. And we hope to cover some of that. And if it's new learning, great. If it's refreshment of what you already know, that's great too. But people have some really strange ideas about what heaven is. Uh, just for example, I know when I first got out of college, I worked at Walter Drugs in Melford, and we had the little soda fountain there. And um, I, the, the pharmacy was on one side, the soda fountain was on the other. And like every small town, you have your cadre of people that hang out there. That's their place they want to hang out. And uh, so during the day when the kids weren't there, a lot of times you got these adults who would sit over there and have some really interesting conversations that you could hear across the way. And there was one guy in particular that had an especially loud voice. It just about knocked you down when, when you'd hear it, even from across the room. And uh, a couple things about him, he was, a, he was a very loud, outspoken person, and he was a chain smoker. And oftentimes people would get irritated because he had blown smoke on them and stuff like that. And his brand was Winston's. I remember that. And, uh, you know, Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. If you're too young, you probably don't even remember that. Thank God they're all banned now. But anyways, uh, or like the Beverly Hillbillies. You remember that show? Remember even Granny Clampett was advertising cigarettes at one time. And she said, Winston tastes good as a cigarette had oughta. I, I probably should forget things like that. But anyhow, so here's this guy sitting over there, and the, the conversation apparently was about heaven there. And he talked with a little lisp, but it was really amusing when I heard it. He, I heard him say, yep, when I get to heaven, I'll have all the Winstons I want. <laughs> and I, yeah, okay. That was one of the stranger uh, things about heaven that I ever heard. And uh, uh, that is not in the Bible, by the way. That, no. I don't think anyone will have all the Winstons they want in heaven. And I know when, when I was a freshman in college at Manchester College in 1972, I, I got really interested in the NBA championship that year. And for some reason, I've never been a fan of them since, I, 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 I took hold of the L.A. Lakers. And I don't know, you got to be old like me to remember this, but they had Wilt Chamberlain and Gail Goodrich and Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and Pat Riley, who's, you know, still coaching or doing something in the league. And, and uh, 
I remember uh, they came back from some deficits with Milwaukee that had Oscar Robertson, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, when they finally won the championship that year, I remember, uh, well, I don't remember it, but I read about it here, that their owner, Jack Kent Cook, uh, exclaimed as he held the trophy, he said, winning this is better than heaven. Now, there was an open letter in one of the L.A. papers the next, or soon after that that said this, My dear Mr. Cook, the glories and the excitements of heaven are so colossal, so incomparable, that the Bible has difficulty finding words to, eat, to convey even a partial understanding of what God has prepared for those who trust His Son. This man was well-informed quite unlike the man at the counter at Walter Drugs and Jack Kent Cook, the owner of the L.A. Lakers. And so what we hope to do today is to get just a glimpse of the glory, the magnitude, the awesomeness. I, I can't even come up with all the adjectives uh, for what I, I believe heaven to be. And if the term worst can be even referred correctly to in, in the context of heaven, the very, very best here on life does not even begin. It's not even on the same scale with what believers will inherit in heaven. So let's begin today, first of all, with uh, the reality of heaven. We're in John chapter 14, some of the most familiar words in the Bible there. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, these words of comfort given to the disciples on the night before his crucifixion tells us the first thing we need to know about heaven, and that is that heaven is a place. Heaven is a place. It's not just an unending space trip. It's not some floating pleasantly wherever with a halo around your head and a harp. It's not some nebulous, abstract something out there. It's not an improved earth. It's a literal, tangible place. And um, the Bible refers to this place in many different ways. Uh, some of them are my father's house a new heaven and a new earth, uh, paradise, the tabernacle of God, the holy city, the heavenly city, heaven, the heavenly kingdom, before the throne, with the Lord. All of these descriptive titles are given and, and used to refer to heaven to help us in some way to understand our destination. In verse 2, the first part, it, it says there, "...in my Father's house are many rooms." Again, if you're old like me, you grew up with the King James Bible, and it taught, in my father's house are many mansions. And so many people uh, in, in my age group have the idea of the uh, pre-Civil War, the antebellum mansions in the South. You know, the four stories with the portico and the huge pillars and the winding open staircase, a la um, uh, um, Gone with the Wind. And uh, it's not that at all, really. The word means room or apartment or literally literally living quarters and we in heaven are going to enjoy living quarters in the house of God 
So heaven is a place. We also need to know that heaven is a person. Heaven is a person. Verse 2 of John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, Jesus did not say, I'm going to give you a travel voucher. He did not say that I'm coming and I'm going to send you. What did he say? He said, I am coming and I'm going to take you with me to heaven that you may be where I am. And I might add, eternally. So heaven is a very, in, very, um, in a very real sense, a person as well. Any of you who've ever been away from home for any length of time, as you anticipate going back, you're not thinking about the lawn. You're not thinking about the building. You're not thinking about the kitchen. What are you thinking about? You're thinking about your loved ones, the things that you value most, the relationships. And so in that sense, heaven is is a literal place and a person. And get this, if you don't get anything else this morning, if you want the place of heaven... It is absolutely imperative that you have a personal saving relationship with a person of heaven. Being a good person won't do it. Having good thoughts won't do it. Being the nicest person you know won't do it. You must know Jesus Christ as your personal savior from sin. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. How many? Eh. No one. So if you're here this morning counting on anything else other than a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ to get you to heaven, forget it. You're not going. Yeah, that's narrow. Yeah, that's maybe judgmental. But that's what the Bible said. That's what Jesus said. You must know the person of heaven to go to the place of heaven. Now let's look at the characteristics of heaven here. And we'll ask the first of all, what will not be there? And it's kind of interesting because the scripture says more about what will not be in heaven than what will be. And we're going to ask four questions and try to answer them. Four questions. The first is what will not be there? Let's look at Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So what's the first thing that's not going to be in heaven? No sea. Now where was John when he wrote this? He was exiled on an island called Patmos. So every single day, the water represented literally his prison walls. And so the first thing he says will not be in heaven is seas, oceans, things like that. It's different than earth. Uh, There's some other things that will not be there. Let's look at verse, um, look at verse three. It says, behold, the the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
What's the second thing that won't be in heaven? Tears. Imagine that. No tears. I think there's a song. I don't know if it's a country song or what genre, but I think there's a song. No tears in heaven. Let's look. There's more. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. What's the third thing? No death. Can you imagine that? If you take the sum total of all the hurt in this earth, it would probably be associated with that more than anything else. No death. And heaven will be eternal. No more death. Okay, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning. The fourth thing, no mourning. And mourning and death are like a hand in a glove. Uh, As being a pastor all these years and just living life, we all know that the most excruciating pain that really can be experienced is the emotional pain that comes with the loss of a loved one or a friend of any sort. Um, And it's no more than emotional. It even goes into physical. Uh, But in heaven, there's not going to be that. No tears, no death, no mourning. What's the next one? Nor crying. All associated. No tears, no death, no mourning, no crying. That is definitely not earth. What else? He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain. No pain. Now some of you I know in a group this size are here this morning and you are in a lot of physical pain. And it's probably been with you for a while. Maybe it's chronic and and you can't get free of it. And you find that people really aren't interested in hearing about it. So you're left to suffer alone. And worse than that, I believe, is the emotional pain that that many are suffering from. The hurts of depression and, and, and loss and exclusion and oh, all the things that bring, you know, emotional pain. And emotional pain brings physical pain, which brings more emotional pain. And I mean, it can just be a snowball rolling down the hill until people are absolutely hopeless and miserable every waking hour of every day. Well, guess what? No pain in heaven. It's going to be gone. Out. Gone. And the reason is for the former things, the things that characterize this life, are passed away. So when you think of heaven, don't think of it in terms of earth. It's not going to be like earth. That's really the first thing we need to understand. Well, there's more things. What else is not going to be there? Let's drop down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God and Almighty and the Lamb. Now, we don't call this building a temple. What, what's not going to be in heaven? No church buildings. You're not going to find one on every corner like you do here on earth. No church buildings. Why? Because its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. One other thing, or another thing. The city has no need of sun. No sun. Hmm. So no direct light. What else? 
no moon. So no direct light, no reflected light. Does that mean we're all just going to be there in darkness? And, and we all know that human beings are largely scared of the dark, whether we want to admit it or not. Is that what that means? And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. We just sang the song, show us, show us your glory. How is God manifested throughout the Bible? Generally, when people see him, it's a, it is a bright, often terrifying, unapproachable light. That's how it's going to be in heaven, except it will not be unapproachable and terrifying there. Also, so if there's no sun and no moon, what else is there not going to be? No night. And if there's no night, no day. You see, whatever we uh, reckon for time and events and organizing ourselves here on earth, it's not going to be that way in heaven. None of those things are going to be there. No light. Now, and the reason why is because the glory of God, again, gives its light and its lamp is the land. So, there's one more thing that will not be present in heaven. And this is going to differentiate it from earth more than anything else, probably. No sin. Verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay. You want to go to heaven? Your name needs to be in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get your name in the Lamb's book of life? You get it through a personal saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. End of discussion. That's it. That's how your name is written in the book of life. No other way to get it there. Got that? So if you want to go to heaven, it needs to be there. Sin will never enter it. Now, if you're thinking, that's a little troubling because everyone's got sin. There's things that we do that we shouldn't do. There's things that we should do that we don't do. Uh, there's thoughts that we have that we shouldn't have. Come on. Well, so completely will be God's work for us in Christ and the righteousness that he gives us at the moment we believe in Jesus that we will get in abundantly and we won't have these sinful bodies anymore. We will be changed forever. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Satan will never be there. Our sinful flesh will be gone. No unbelievers. So all of this, friends, if you're a clock watcher, if you're a highly organized person, if your world runs by a strict schedule... Uh, it's not going to be that way in heaven. And that's going to be a good thing. But in this earth, unfortunately, those things are necessary. I understand that. So the next question then. Okay, we see what won't be, what will be. What will be in heaven? Well, the first thing is our loved ones who have died with faith in Jesus Christ. I know uh, most of us have lived long enough to talk to someone who's about to die. And if they're a believer, they usually will say, I cannot wait to see and give you a name. I want to see, I want to see 
And we know they're there. And what they, what, you know, they don't have their bodies now. Um, that's going to come later. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes about that in first in Philippians chapter 1. He said, I want Christ to be honored in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live as Christ, to die and gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means labor for me. If I, what, I, I'm pressed between the two. My depart, desire is depart and to be with Christ, but to remain in the flesh is necessary for your account. You see the separation of body and spirit there and soul. Uh, also in 2 Corinthians, he says, We know that if the tent or our bodies, this earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God not made with hands. In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Uh, he said, uh, Be of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. So in a way that I don't understand, and I doubt any of you do either, they are there, but they are there in spirit now. And eventually there will be a reunion of a glorified, sinless body with the soul in heaven. And so probably what their experiences in heaven aren't all they can be, but I am certain that if they could come back, they wouldn't. And I have really no scripture for this, but I've often heard people saying, you know, they're there looking down on me. Uh, I wonder about that. Because if they could look down on us and see us, they're going to see grief and pain and sadness and disappointment. And those things don't seem to have any place in heaven. Now, again, I have no scripture from that. That's just an opinion. Unless their full knowledge is so great that they're able to see through it and know the end I don't know. Some have also wondered, will we know our loved ones there? I think we have some scripture for that. Because uh, it says we will then know as we are fully known. And we know that Jesus knows our loved ones. So I, I believe we will know them too. Wouldn't go to the wall on either one of those things. Again, whatever we imagine it to be, though, it's going to be better. So what else will be in heaven in addition to our loved ones who have died in faith in Christ? Face-to-face -face fellowship with God. Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. They will see his face. Wow. Now, how is that possible? Because you remember back in Exodus chapter 33, God was uh, uh, speaking with Moses, and Moses said, show me your glory. And he, God says, oh no, no human being can look on my glory and live. And remember he said, but I will show you some of the back of my glory, the, the afterglow. And, and he hit him in, a, in some rocks and passed by and just had a little bit of the afterglow of his glory. And that was enough that it... it um, it made his face to shine to the point that when he went back down to the Israelites, his people, they were terrified by his face and said, put a veil on it. But so complete will be our transformation in Christ that we will have face-to-face -face fellowship with God in heaven. Now try to comprehend that one. 
1 John 3 verses 1 and 2 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Exclamation marks, exuberance as he says this. Dear friends, we now we are the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Face to face. The next thing that will be in heaven, full knowledge. I know, I know, some people think they know it all. We all know people who think they know it all, but they don't. Uh, no one knows it all. But if we go, uh, let's just listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We all know that uh, passage. But he's, Paul writes there in chapter, eight, or chapter 13, verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For now we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Ever seen an old uh, tarnished mirror and you look in there and, you know, eh, I can see it. That's kind of how it is with the things of heaven and and even the spiritual matters that we do have a, a working understanding of. We don't have a complete understanding of the ways of God because we're not glorified yet. We're still sinful and we're limited in our knowledge. And he says there, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Full knowledge. Wow. What else? Abundance. Abundance. There's going to be no scarcity in heaven at all. We will have abundance. Revelation uh, chapter 21, verse 6. I am done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Without cost, abundance, absolute provision, eternally. What else? An indescribably beautiful city. Now hang on as we try to get some understanding of this. um, And I'm not sure that we can. We can get a picture and maybe just scratch the surface. Verse 15 of Revelation 21. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square with its length the same as its height. And he measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured the wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also a human measurement. Now, 12,000 stadia is about 1,500 miles. Now, you just had the atlas out going through that a little bit. Ever driven to Atlanta? That's about 1,500 miles. So if you go to Atlanta from here, 1,500 miles, and take a 90-degree angle, that'll get you about to Shreveport, Louisiana. And if you take a right angle there and go north and west, you know, kind of on the line, you'll end up just a little bit west of Kansas City. And then back here is another 1,500 miles. 
And not only that, friends, go whoop, up 1,500 miles. That's the dimension that this is giving here. Now, I realize that could also be a pyramid, those things, but I believe it's talking about a cube 1,500 miles on all sides. That's pretty big. And who knows what size our bodies are going to be like as we're glorified. I mean, we really don't know. Uh, I don't have the exact numbers anymore, but I saw once, I read where some uh, uh, architect in London studied this, and by the density of London, England, there would be about over 2 billion people could live in a space like that. Now, we don't know that it's all going to be taken up. We don't know that. That's just to give you some concept of how big this heavenly city is. And... um, He continues with the description here in verse 18. It's wall, the wall was built of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city, foundations of the wall of the, of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Now I grew up on the farm and it seemed like my grandpa beer was always grabbing us kids to help him do some project. And he always did it low cost. I know if, if we, whenever we were putting in a corner post or trying to build some foundation of some sort, we found we were sent to find every bit of junk we could, scrap metal, rocks, you name it, throw her in there to save on the cost of the cement. Look at what the foundations of this city are going to be. The foundation of the wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. In verse 21, there were 12 gates, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, and each of the gates made a single pearl. I don't know how big those gates are, but a pearl is generally about like that. Um, And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Whoa. Yeah, no, we we can't understand this, but it gives us a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like when we get there. Um, and, and I'm sure, again, whatever we're imagining isn't it. It's better. One more thing that will be in heaven, and this one I really wouldn't go to the wall on, but I think it's right. Um, it will be a time of service. 22 verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be on it, and His servants will worship Him. Different translations like the NIV, for example, His servants will serve Him. So I don't think we're just going to be sitting there like little whatever for eternity. I think there will probably be something to do. And given the nature of heaven, it will all have to do with the glory of God. But I do believe it will also be a time of service. The third question, how long will we be in heaven? Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light or light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. How long are we going to be there? Eternally. No question. And try to imagine eternity. You've been there for a hundred years? Go back a hundred years. What would it be? 1914, we'd have uh, World War I, like we just arrived. 
Go back a thousand years, 10,000 years. Time has absolutely no meaning in an eternal state. Forget about time. It will make no difference. Forever and ever means forever and ever, and you won't be able to measure that. Certainly not by any human standard that we're aware of. Question four. What will, uh, why will we be in heaven? Why will we we be in heaven? Now, I remember when we first started the church, I was involved in a conversation with some people who I don't know if they were believers or not, but I remember we were talking about heaven and hell. And uh, one person said, boy, I think you got to be really bad to go to hell. Uh, No, (laughs) no, you just have to be unrelated to Jesus. I don't care how good you are. If you don't know Jesus, that's where you end up. And just the opposite is true. The reason we will be in heaven is singular. Because we trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior from sin. Okay, so I'm thinking, well, hey, I'm a good guy. I'm better than most of the Christians I know. I don't do as many bad things as them. I do more good things than them. You know what? That may be true. But you're not forgiven. They are. And even if you could say that and make a case for it, uh, you were born in sin. And that in itself is enough to make you need a Savior. You need to go from being in Adam to in Christ, in from sin to Christ. Doesn't matter. There is only one reason anyone's ever going to be in heaven, and that is because they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Like the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Please, I implore you, if you're thinking any different than this, and you want to be consistent with Scripture... Rethink it, friends. Rethink it, because you're in for an eternal shock. Well, verse 14 of chapter 22, Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have a right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by its gates. And Revelation chapter seven fourteen tells us that our robes are, will have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's why. Well, I don't know how to try and make this understandable. I really don't because we're taking the incomprehensible and trying to make it comprehensible. Um, I'll try this. In 1974, uh, my time and service was up and I was flying home. They packed this plane Every seat, our duffel bags were in there, everything we took with us. And that plane, as it left the runway and gained, left the runway in Frankfurt, Germany, a spontaneous cheer went up from all the soldiers that were on that plane. We flew all night long, and and just when we were thinking, are we ever going to get there, the pilot came on and said, Gentlemen, if you look out to whatever side, you can see the lights of New York City. And I remember another spontaneous cheer went up at that. And a lot of these poor people didn't even have much to go home to. I did. But 
we didn't have cell phones then, so please understand that as you get the next thing. When the when instant we got off that plane, there was a crazy, chaotic, mad dash for a bank of telephones across one wall. It was like hogs to a, a slop. If you've never been on the farm and slopped hogs, trust me, there's nothing more chaotic than that, except maybe this, as everyone clamored for that bank of telephones just to make contact with home. And I think that's probably the tiniest, most infinitesimal glimpse I can come up with to what heaven might be like, knowing that we will be there forever and ever. I want to leave you with this scripture. No eye has seen... No ear has heard, no mind has conceived what heaven has, pre- what God has prepared for those who love him. So take everything we said this morning, my best attempt, the scripture's best attempt to describe it to you. I think that's true. Whatever you imagine it to be, it's better. It's better. And C.S. Lewis summed it up, the product of human lives, when he said this. Listen carefully. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Christians, this is why Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Simply, let's live a life consistent with who we are. I know, we tend, to th- we tend to cheat on God. We tend to toe up to the line of sin and think, well, there's plenty of grace. It'll overcome it all. But I believe that at the judgment seat of Christ, and there are judgments that will, that will follow the works of believers, why live in eternity knowing that you had all of this and didn't simply love God as you should have or show the gratitude to God that you should have By living a life which honors him. And dear unsaved friend, please do not be deceived. If you want the place of heaven, you must know the person of heaven as your savior from sin. May God bless his word. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this glimpse of the glories of heaven. Uh, Father, we understand that uh, when it says no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, no mind has conceived of what you have for those who love you, who know your son, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, we believe that, Lord. I mean, we act like we don't believe it, but deep down we know that you are so much greater than us that, uh, that it has to be true. I just pray, Lord, that you will constantly remind us that our first love is to you. And our first obligation, our, our only real obligation is to live a life that honors you and shows unbelievers that we do love you and that you have saved us. 
Lord, we pray that if there are any here today who do not know you, that uh, today will be the day that they'll repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior from that sin, thereby knowing the person of heaven and being assured of the place of heaven. We give you the praise now in his precious name. Amen.